Well, as I said before, I'm Joel, and I'm excited to be able to speak with you today in a, in a bit, what, bit of an unusual service to speak about what we believe God is doing here at Chapel Point. And um, I'll give you a little bit of background if you don't already know. Uh, so about four and a half years ago, it was the summer of 2014, um, God jumped into the staff and to the elders, and very clearly after several months, and truly it was couple months of prayer and praying and saying, God, what do you really want for Chapel Point? Like, what, what is it? What role do you want us to have, if any at all, in the kingdom of God? What, what does that need to look like? And so at that point, um, after writing a lot of things down, a lot of prayer, reading the Word of God, is where our elders, our staff knew that we were to be transformed followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer and equipping disciples. We knew that that's what God was calling us to. Now, that's important. Let me tell you why it's important, because you, you need to understand where you're trying to end up, right? Um, and sometimes even in ministry, we just end up doing a whole lot of things, not knowing where we're trying to take people and where we're trying to land. And God showed us, this is what I want you working toward. As a result of that, it caused us to do a lot of other things. It's impacted the, type, uh, the, the people that we hire. It's impacted the, um, the way that we hire people. It's changed our mantra and the things that we're willing to do, and it's changed the things that we're not willing to do as well. And so as we have done that, we've fully, we've jumped in and said, okay, we fully believe God is calling us to this, and so we want to make sure we're doing it. In fact, our, the way you measure success here at Chapel Point, and every organization has to go, how do we measure success? It's actually not necessarily by the number of people coming. Sorry. What it's about for us is about stories of transformation. And this morning, you're going to be able to hear a couple of those and how God is working and how God is moving in those lives. And that's really our desire for all of you. And that's why earlier I was able to share with you Romans chapter 12. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and ju- uh, jump into Romans chapter 12 right now. And I want to speak to you a little bit about what is being communicated by Paul to the people in Romans chapter 12. It's an amazing thing to be able to recognize because Paul is instructing the people right away to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. Now, if you're new here, just bear with me a second because you're going to go, man, this guy, there was no warm-up at all. He just jumped in, and he's kind of intense. Just give me a second. Here he is. And Paul starts calling out to people, and he's urging them. He's going, I appeal to you. In the ESV, he says, I appeal to you. I'm calling out to you. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, Camp out on this for a moment. Living sacrifice. We already know here a bunch of people listening to this. Um, Jewish people would have been making sacrifices all the time, and they would have been bringing them into the temple. There are places in the temple that were constantly just covered in blood, right? And from all the sacrifices coming and saying, hey, I repent of this. God, don't hold me accountable to this. I, I, I'm sorry, and, and calling these things out. So we know that in the Jewish history, that we know that those things are taking place. And now Paul, okay, a Jew is calling out, I, know, I want you to be a living sacrifice, so they would have heard this differently than the way that we hear this today. We, we've said it so many times ago, oh, I need to be a living sacrifice. Do you, want, do you recognize what it is to be a living sacrifice? To say, hey, here's God. And he says, you don't need to give those types of sacrifices anymore. I've already given you the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, my son. 
so that you don't have to continually come into the temple and present these sacrifices over and over and over again. It's already finished. It's done. And my son, Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate sacrifice. And so now, instead of being that dead sacrifice that was crucified, what I want you to be is I want you to be a living sacrifice. Someone who's recognizing that now in life we get to give to God all that we have because we have a proper view of who God is. The only people who are believers that can say that the word sacrifice is scary are the ones who don't truly understand what God has done for us. He's jumping in and he's helping us understand that every action, every word, every decision is a response to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. I want, I want to read a different, to help you understand it, um, Romans 12, verse 2. I'm going to read from the NLT. Uh, that's the New Living Trans, uh, Translation. And this is what it says about Romans 12. It says, verse, and this is verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I wanna, it's not on here, so I want to call it out to you again. Here's one of the translations, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And, and a lot, I'm hoping this really sinks in because one of the struggles that we have today is we struggle to say, you know what, God's transforming me and he's really moving in my life. That should be natural. Everybody just say, God's transforming me. There, it's not awkward anymore. Just get it out. So you can have these conversations when you walk up to someone later on and go, God's transforming me. It's awesome to see. Can I tell you how? Again, it says, don't copy the, the behavior. Don't copy and just be like the people of the world. Don't, don't do that. Let God transform you into a new person. And then he says, this is how I'm going to transform you. He says, by changing the way that you think. I'm going to transform you by changing the way that you think. Here's how God cha- transforms. Here's one of the greatest ways. Here, you might want, might want to write this one down. How does God transform? He will change the way I think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's the thing that jumped out at me last night as I was redoing everything. Is that God is more interested in changing your heart and your mind than he is your situation. Please allow this to to punch you a little bit. God is more interested in changing your heart and your mind than in changing your situation. And that's, that's a difficulty for so many of us because we're sitting and we're, we're hearing the word of God and we're going, wait a second here. If he would just do this for me, let me tell you why that's dangerous. If, you're, if your belief in God is dependent upon your situation, then what you're really in essence falling into is that you are now God and you're going to tell God if he does this for you, you will have a high view of him. But then you're putting in yourself into that seat of God. You're seeing this, Right? And so that's why God cares about the transformation of your heart and your mind. That's why we also say here at Chapel Point that our words inform our hearts. 
I believe it's a, it is a biblical premise. Our words inform our heart. Proverbs 4.23. You can write it down and look it up later. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to, to be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life, for, Proverbs 4.23, your life is shaped by your thoughts. And so the way that we see life, the way that we allow God to jump in and to transform our families and our marriages and the way that we conduct ourselves in business or the way that we teach or the way that we practice medicine, all these things have an impact by how God allows ourselves to be able to truly recognize things for what he wants to see happen rather than what we want to see happen. We've got to grasp this transformation idea that God doesn't, this is not God. Hey, you stay as you are, but I'm going to die for you, and, uh, and then I'll make sure I do some things that you want me to do so that you'll still have some belief in me. And uh, then at the end of your life, you'll feel pretty good about it, and you can get everything that you want, even though that's just minuscule compared to what I actually wanted for you. And it sounds silly when you actually say it out loud, doesn't it? But so many of us are living in that rather than in the transformation of our mind and our heart. We get caught up in that. But again, God cares far more about the transformation of your heart and your mind than your situation. Because your maturity in Christ, your understanding of how God can use any situation to bring Him glory will change the view, the perspective that you have of that situation. And so he's making an appeal to people to align themselves properly with God. And I understand that this idea of transformation can be scary. Because when God jumps in and shifts your heart and your mind, that means everything else has to change. God desires to do more. Guys, more than just change your practices. You see, the way you change your practices and your lifestyle, that comes after transformation of heart and mind. If someone says, well, if you just do this, you'll be a good person. It's not about that. It's about the transforming of your mind and your heart. What you do as a result of that in terms of where you go and what you do and how you act and how you behave, that's a result of that transformation. Don't think that you can just change your practices and you're a good person when God's never transformed your heart and your mind. It doesn't work. And that's why, as a church, we know that God is asking us to be about that. And you know what? That takes a lot of, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of, a lot of work because we don't measure success by how many chairs we have to put out. We measure success by how many lives are being transformed in the renewing of their mind. So he's saying, let me do this. And just keep living in it. We know that transformation is a continual process. It's not a one-time event. It's not something that you do when you're 12 or 15 or even 25, and then you kind of like just rest in that. You go, okay, well, I declared him as my Savior one day, and that's all you're going to do. It's a continual opportunity to allow God to jump into your life. Your marriage, if you've been married for 20 years, 30 years, 60 years, doesn't matter. Your marriage should be a greater reflection of Christ the longer you've been married. If you've been married for more than three days, you should already be asking yourself, is our marriage a greater reflection today than it was when we got married? Because otherwise, really what you're doing is you're just living for self. And this is what I want. This is what I expect of it. 
It's a continual process, not a one-time event. And so we are desperate for, to see people be transformed. I am desperate for the world to be transformed. I'm desperate for Grand Rapids to be transformed. People say that it's just this good old Bible-based conservative area. It's not. It's reserved, but that's different than conservative. And we're all sinners. We know that over two-thirds of the people in this community do not attend church. That means you will see far more cars in their driveway right now than you will see driveways empty. And again, it's not about that practice, but it's about people who have been transformed. And you, so you want to respond appropriately. And part of the reason we even come together as his church is we want to respond to his greatness. And we also know that God ordained the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we want to treat the church respectfully. And we want to be able to come in and serve the church just as Christ has served us. And so some of you are going, well, I don't need the church to be able to grow. You're wrong. One, to even say, I don't need the church in order to grow, that's one of the most arrogant, pompous statements that you can declare. What you're saying is, I already know everything. There's nobody who can help me. But yet God ordained the church. He declares it as his bride, the bride of Christ. And so we want to respond to this. We know that every time God speaks, it demands what? And so we want to respond appropriately. Because we know that when we're responding appropriately, God can do magnificent things. Here's another way to think about it is the level of your transformation leads to the enormity of your response. Small God, small response. Great God, great response. How are you responding to the transformation? Are you being transformed? How are you responding to that transformation? What area of your life, here's a great topic for lunch today for each one of you, um, is to ask each other, what's one area in your life you're struggling to let God transform right now because you just want to hold on to it? What is that? And maybe it's a business, maybe it's family, maybe it's part of a marriage, maybe it's the way you're raising kids, whatever it may be. But what is your response to the promptings of God in your life? How are you responding? Early this morning, is about 1.15, couldn't sleep. Um, anybody else find that as you get older, um, it's harder to sleep? Anybody else find that? Um, I have not. So, um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I really, it's, it's, it's a struggle. Um, and I knew that one of, the, um, one of my kids didn't end last night as well as they should have ended. And I think part of that was my issue. And I knew God was saying, you need to go pray over this child. Not wake him up. <laughs> the difference but to pray over them. I said, oh, I just need to go to sleep. I got to get up. I need to preach. The service is going to be pretty different. I just got to let me go to bed. And he wouldn't let me go back to sleep. And so finally, I went in there and I laid down with my kid. 
and I put my hand on their head, and I began to pray over them, and 45 seconds later, I was snoring. Why? Because God called me to something, and I was obedient, and that obedience brought me peace, and I could finally rest. And you're going, well, that's a small example. Yes, yeah, a small example, but it matters because that's where God is calling us every day, to live in that response to his greatness, to be obedient to him. You get it, right? You're hearing me, amen? And so we begin to live in that, knowing the power of the transformation of God in our hearts and our minds, and now we respond. And we want to be a part of that transformation and urge you on, to urge you forward, because too many of us, sadly enough, too many people say, I would never wake up in the middle of the night knowing that God wants me to go pray over my daughter and to lay hands on them. That's a problem with your understanding of the enormity of God. And if it makes you uncomfortable, we're okay with that. Because being a Christian, you're going to be uncomfortable. According to the world, you're going to be uncomfortable because while they chase selves, we're going to chase something that is eternal. Maybe that's our question, is how will we respond to God's love and faithful obedience? Are you being transformed? Are you living in that story of transformation? Can you speak it? Can you speak the transformation that God is doing in your life? And are you willing to respond appropriately, knowing that God cares far more for the transformation of your heart and your mind than transforming your situation? Because he's saying, I've got this. I can change your view of everything. Don't worry about it. This is something bigger than you. Just let me have control. Will you respond? And some of us are going, uh, and you're, you're not even following because you don't want God to have control because you, you like it a lot. You want to hold on. That's what God's called us to as a church, is to allow God to transform, to have his way with us, and for us to be able to respond appropriately. in our families, in our marriages, with finances, with our time, our energies, will you respond? We have already been able to speak about what it is to be transformed and to respond to him. And now we get to speak about what it is to be rooted in prayer and to equip disciples. Um, When God laid this on our heart, uh, part of what I mentioned earlier is it changed uh, even roles and organizational chart, it changed a bit of everything here at Chapel Point. Um, I don't think anything should be isolated from the call of God in our lives, whether it be personally, organizationally, as a church, or anything else. And so a few years ago when we were looking for uh, another pastor, we, we hired and we had the title Prayer and Worship Pastor. And one of the very first questions I asked Pastor Nathan, he was in Savannah, Georgia at the time, and I started asking him different things, and I wanted to know, I said, tell me about your prayer life. And he would answer, and I'd say, well, tell me more about that. And he would answer, he's like, well, tell me more about your prayer life. And he's like, really, again? I'm, I want to know. 
And he would speak about his runs and how he would have times of prayer with God and prayer with God before trying to do services and worship. And one of the themes I saw running throughout his life was that prayer. And I go, yeah, that's what we want because anybody's leading us in worship, we want prayer to be central in everything that they do. That matters to us. In fact, we, we even say uh, we have certain default settings here at Chapel Point. Uh, our default settings are prayer and discipleship. Those are our default settings, those things that we want to run to right away. If things are in crisis or in things are difficult, if things are doing well and great, we still want it to be prayer and discipleship. Learning more about who God is and relying on Him. In fact, if you want to learn a lot about your prayer life, ask yourself this. After a prayer time, who was the primary subject, self or God? It's a great way to think about prayer. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to to petition him to go and to call out before God. We, we find the word, especially in the Psalms and other places, where it's constantly saying, I cry out to you, God. I cry out my voice to you. Hear my plea. But God is to always be the primary subject of our prayer. And so you ask yourself, well, you know, God, at that moment, who was the primary subject? Because I kind of feel like it was me. Or, you know what? It was you, and I just need your direction, and I need your insight, and I need your strength, and I need your power, and I need your wisdom, and I need your clarity, and I need your understanding, and I need your comfort, and I need your peace. We want to be a church that prays and teaches people to pray. We don't mind one bit that I, one of the expectations we have for people is that they pray. We want homes, families that are praying families. We cannot properly pray regarding our own situation until God is in His proper place within our own hearts. So we believe if the transformation is great, so is the response and also so is the life of prayer. Because we recognize, even as I preached a couple weeks ago about prayer and looking at the book of James, which we get to finish up next week, we see prayer is something that shows our dependence upon God. And so we want to help people be comfortable with prayer. Prayer is actually something we typically are very uncomfortable with. But we want it to be effortless. We want you to see somebody hurting in the grocery store and to pray with them and to pray over them right then. We want to be a church that just, just doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. We want to be a church that says, we want to pray for you now. Because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in what that can do. We want friends praying together. One of the greatest things about the, the men of influence class that's taking place right now is to see 140 men in a room the other night in groups just praying for one another. Chapel Point is to be a house of prayer because we are dependent upon God. And we also want to be a church that is equipping others. One of the things I've learned about equipping disciples is am I a disciple willing to be equipped? And that is really based and determined by my humility. Do you think that you have more to learn about God? What a, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great question. Do you think that you have more to learn about God? And if so, what do you think it is? 
I'm giving you all types of ammunition for lunch today. To better look at someone and says, hey, what do, you, what do you think you need to learn about who God is? Because then you can follow that up with, well, maybe there's an opportunity for you to learn more about his word and his truth and what that really means for your life. So one of the things I've discovered also is that people who aren't willing to really be equipped as disciples, typically they, they tend to be the more prideful of people because they think they already have enough of the answer. And God wants us to be a church that is humble and our willingness to learn as much as we can about our Savior so that we can reflect Him at all times. He's calling us to that. But I, I wrote down why we want to be a, an equipping church. This was yesterday, and so this is, not, um, this is not in your worship guide. You need to know now this is not in your worship guide but a, a few things for you to write down in terms of what I believe a disciple is. Some of it comes from the book of James and other places as well. Um, the reason we want to equip you is because we believe that disciples, um, they have a willing submission to Jesus and to Scripture. And we want to have a willing submission to Jesus and to Scripture to, to say, hey, this is God's Word. And yes, are you, if you're asking, do we believe in the Word of God, the Bible as being His truth, the answer is adamantly yes. So if you had that as a question, hey, I wonder if they uh, are going to teach five life steps of how to have a happier life or if they're going to teach Scripture. I'll tell you now, we're going to preach Scripture because this is the authority. Have no qualms about that. And one of the things that we learn here in the Word of God is part of what that means is that we have a willing submission to Jesus and to Scripture. Matthew 6, 24 says that no one can serve two masters. James also points out the willingness to submit before God. as He's saying, hey, believers, if you really want to be faithful, you need to submit to Him, submit to His sovereignty. James chapter 4. Another thing that we see a disciple being is someone who has a deep desire to emulate Jesus, to reflect Jesus. Philippians 4.9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And we want to emulate Jesus as much as possible. That's what a disciple does. And one of the ways that we can emulate Jesus is by learning as much as we can. That's why we have point electives. It's why we have all these different opportunities to learn. And I know we don't have a ton of them on Sunday mornings. And a lot of people only want to show up at church once a week. We're going to have more of them once we get into a new venue. Um, but we just don't have the room right now. Put it like this. If we want to offer all these classes about, um, it can be everything from apologetics and the truth of Scripture and everything else. We want you to learn those things. But right now, if we offer those on Sunday morning, that means this place is going to have to be full of babies. Because you're going to have to use the nursery. And so those things are coming. We offer them now throughout the week. And we want you to have those opportunities so that we can have this deep desire to emulate Jesus. And another thing that we see in disciples is they have a passion to give up self. Luke 14, 16 through 27. Luke 14, 26 through 27 says, If anyone does not forsake all that he has and takes up his cross and, me, and, and to follow me, he cannot be my disciple. If you're going to give up all that you have and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. And so we want to give up self and to put on Christ. We want to equip you because that's part of being in relationship together. And we also know that from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46 primarily, 
that we see the importance of the family of faith coming together, learning together, growing together, being a part of that together. A lot of what we're trying to do as a church and what we believe God has called us to, we know it's more difficult. Right, what churches did, and it's a little bit of a history lesson, if you study the last 15 to 20 years of church life, what they've done is, in order to keep people, they've tried to make faith more simple by simply saying, just show up occasionally and worship together, and then you go live your life and do what you want to do, and then occasionally you plug back in. We believe God is worthy of more. And I'm okay with that. God doesn't want us occasionally, He wants us all the time reflecting Him, living according to His truth and His word, and being people of prayer, rooted in all that we do. This is what allows us, and you can even see, by the way, it allows us to really build this discipleship journey, and you can see that there in your worship guide as well. We have a journey. We want you to start to grow and to truly increase in your belief and your understanding of who God is and to end up serving Him faithfully. And we want to live it together because we believe God is calling us to do much, 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 much more. The question is, many people have to ask, what do you want from the church? Many people want to know what that is. That's why we speak about what it is to be a partner in the ministry of the gospel. Paul speaks, I thank my God for your partnership in the gospel. And many people want to be customers and they want to go here and to go there. And they don't really ever want to commit But we need people who want to commit to that transformation in Christ and to commit to one another and to be able to run forward in radical ways and reaching into a community. I say we run harder. Last weekend when we were with the elders and we were able to share with you for a moment last weekend, that's why the theme, the focus for this year is to really be a a catalyst for spiritual awakening in a dry culture. Do you believe that God could use Chapel Point as a catalyst, a tool, an agent for a spiritual awakening in a dry culture? Amen? Amen. The struggle is you're not being called to watch it. You're being called to be a part of it. A believer is not being called to watch it. A believer is being called to be a part of it. A part of a of a spiritual awakening because as you see the enormity of God, you see more clearly the desperation of a world needing God. So perhaps that's the question. Knowing that everyone has a story of transformation, are you living in yours? Once again, Are you living in your story of transformation? Or are you just stepping in occasionally and then stepping back out? Will you live in your story of transformation?